0: Studios.
1: You might have a ghost that is staring at the character and we kind of talk about the ghost's face and we sort of talk about the distance and the alienation from the ghost and maybe we describe the ghost or the specter, the figure that the, our protagonist sees. And then the ghost maybe starts screaming. Maybe it's just yelling at the top of their voice. Maybe it's like a banshee or maybe they're telling a story in a in a long dead language that they the character can't understand but gets it you know and so you build all of this and then suddenly you drop it out because maybe the character blinks and then the ghost is gone and it's silent here's a question i might regret asking
2: what makes a story scary
1: I think it was Stephen King that was like, spiders aren't scary. What's yeah. scary is seeing a spider, turning your head, turning back, and the spider's gone.
2: From Elias Studios, this is Servant of Pod. I'm Nick Kwa. This week, spooky podcasts. Just in time for Halloween. If you're a fan of spooky pods, there's no doubt you've heard this. That's the theme to Welcome to Night Vale, the tremendously successful show about a desert community where the supernatural runs amok. The show was co-created and is co-written by Joseph Fink and Jeffrey Cranor. Jeffrey also co writes another spooky ish pod, Within the Wires, and has co written several best selling Nightvale books. Now, Jeffrey is also making Random Number Generator Horror Podcast Number 9, with the voice of Nightvale, Cecil Baldwin. In it, he and Cecil watch and chat about classic movies like Psycho
1: and The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, along with cult favorites like Black Sheep and The Alive. The thing I've been learning about watching so many horror films this year and trying to read more horror novels is that the the stuff that's really effective i think really gets to the heart of our lack of security and maybe our extreme guilt for how we feel about ourselves Hmm. and so you know ghosts and monsters and evil forces that can kill or maim or hold us prisoner those things often are kind of externalizations of the things that we feel inside. So I think tapping into a universality is really important. And I relate it to humor in the same way that I I think about the way jokes don't age well. And I'm not just mm. talking about, like, culturally insensitive jokes. I mean in the way that, like, certain styles of observational humor kind of run their course after a while. It's just, you know, the the notion of making fun of airplane food is just not quite the same now as it used to be because airplane food is different and who gets airplane food is different, etc. But, you know, when you watch older horror films, it's really fascinating to see what people were going through and watching movies from the 1970s people were really tuning into Satan and Stranger Danger. Yeah, Satanic Panic was a big thing back then. It's a huge thing. And we created those things as horror markers because what we were starting to realize was the the massive amount of abuse of children or the, the kidnapping of children more often than not takes place within families yeah, and within tight communities. And it's easier to imagine that it's just the devil, it's just some other entity like Satan worshipers that are doing all of this, when in all actuality it's it's coming, the call is coming from inside the house. <laughs> <laughs> One of the more like vivid striking images that like kind of love from Night Vale is the faceless
2: old women. Uh-huh. And I was curious if you could talk a little bit about the creation of characters and what it means to you
1: guys. Yeah, it, it's so funny. It was such, it was a Twitter joke that Joseph made way, way back in like 2012 or something. Like, I think it just started with, there's a faceless old woman who secretly lives in your home. And that was the whole tweet. <laughs> I just, Which is something I, that
2: the Night Vale Twitter account does all the time. <laughs> yeah,
1: and I just thought that was a really funny tweet, and so I would tweet kind of like, "Well, I'm just going to progress her character." So I would make little tweets of like the faceless old woman who secretly lives in your home is disappointed by your diary entry. You haven't <laughs> mentioned, her, mentioned her once, or I don't know, whatever. You just make a joke or something, and it was usually meant for being funny off of this kind of loose horror trope. And then we we wrote an episode for it, and we structured the entire episode about the faceless old woman being in your home
4: i wish you could see me just cleaning and reorganizing making sense of the nonsense plants and muscles in your fridge but you never look if you would just glance left or right every so often you'd see me i'm right next to you right now i'm even in the mirrors but you just stare at yourself staring only at your overripe potato of a face I'm there in every mirror if you could just look for me in the background behind you. Also, what's your Wi-Fi password?
1: And it was entirely about the fact that you can't really see her or know she's there, but she's constantly doing things, affecting your life. Um, You know, kind of being a poltergeist, almost like kind of being mean or doing stuff that's almost prankish to you. And kind of putting the listener into that almost, it was almost a second-person storytelling sort of mode. And so I think that to me was what sort of got me really into her as a character because it's so hard to imagine what something would look like facelessly. And I think the unseen face is really, really scary because you can't get a grasp on the being's humanity.
2: That's kind of one of my favorite kind of distinctions between... Like a visual format and something that's not visual, right? Like if it's text or if it's it's audio, it's that you're able to kind of lean into the undescribables. I think it's probably my favorite of all of the horror ideas of like you see something you cannot really mentally process it, and therefore you are ruined, which is a little bit what of what The Ring does. I think
1: <laughs> I love writing Night Vale and and some of the horror elements of Within the Wires too in podcast form because the podcast doesn't let you see anything, so you can. Only really give the listener little bits and pieces, and make their brains do all the extra work, and that's what's scary. When you turn around and the spider is gone from the ceiling directly above your bed, you're like, "Oh crap, where did the spider go?" Uh, and then your mind is racing: Is it is it in my is it in the bed now? Is it is it on me? Is it in my shoe? And I think uh, with podcasts, you can you can really do that super well. Uh, what is your favorite sort of uh, spooky podcast? In terms of Spooky, I I go back over and over to the first season of The Black Tapes and Tannis to some extent. But what The Black Tapes was doing, for me, is right up my alley. There's something about the structure of The Black Tapes that allowed these actors to play characters ostensibly in our real world, describing things with a level of calm that wasn't like a a narrator of a story or that didn't feel like horror. It felt like this is normal life and this is happening and we are doing our jobs as investigators. So when we start describing the upside down face, that's really unnerving or we hear the sound of the unsound. We have these characters have their natural worries uh, about what this means for them as actual people, but they're also investigating it as journalists and scientists and I find that really interesting as people are carrying into the world as intrepid saviors, right? Like mm. um, if I watch a war movie, I expect all of the military men in the war movie to be like very good at their jobs, es- essentially. <laughs> and because then it puts it on me to feel like, holy crap, I, w- I would never be able to do this. This is terrifying. I'm so scared for yeah. them. And I think that that's the essence that I've always gotten from, from Black Tapes. I, I, I learned a lot about sort of how you can structure interesting horror in a podcast from them. Even though, you know, we both are using, with Night Vale and Black Tapes are using, here's public radio telling creepy stories. Yeah, But theirs is different, right? It's not Night Vale, it's doing something structurally very different. What is your favorite like horror movie? Man, I would say The Host, because it might be one of, it was instantly entering my top 10, but yeah. I did find in watching The Host, it didn't feel quite like a horror movie. It's a monster movie, but it's, yeah. it's so much more things than that. I would also put Firewalk With Me up there, hmm. just because probably it's a feeling of nostalgia. It was my first moment of really seeing David Lynch. I would never seen the TV show when I watched the movie, so I think I was triply horrified by that film. But in terms of like actual horror, horror, man, that's so tough to say. I'm going to, I might just go with Halloween. It's Mm. so beautifully structured. It has a ton of problems. And from twenty twenty eyes, it just doesn't feel that scary. There's something fun about watching people who make terrible decisions. (laughs) And this movie is filled with not quite Texas Chainsaw Massacre level, but it is filled with teenagers who don't have any clue what to do correctly. Yeah. And um but it's so inventively shot and every time I watch John Carpenter I realize that I'm watching a truly independent artist even though he has studio funding and he gets funding from people but it, there's a crazy independent spirit to everything he does. I f- always find something weirdly experimental yeah. in his films. And the opening scene of Halloween which is done entirely from first person point of view camera of a killer is one of, yeah, it's just one of the most compelling bits of footage I've ever watched in a horror film.
2: What is the most scared you've ever been in
1: your life? Like just in real life? Yeah. Wow. So when I lived in Queens back in like 2007 or so, my wife and i lived in a very tiny little apartment in queens and on the second floor we had just been having a conversation earlier in the the evening about just the idea of home invaders and how scary that is Hmm. and it was that night at like three something in the morning that jillian woke me up to say there's somebody at the door and our bed was right next to the bedroom door which was right across from the front door and I was like, I don't hear it. And then suddenly I heard scratching and it was like clicking. It sounded like somebody trying to pick our lock. Oh man. I I got so petrified. And when I looked out the peephole, there was nobody there and I could see the doorknob turning.
2: <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and I was, I was, I was
1: like, I was about to lose my mind. I was so scared. And like, I couldn't move cause I'm like, I don't want to make a noise. And so, and then the person started like pounding on the door and, um, and then when I looked back out, their face was right up against the peephole. Oh my god! And I, I, I like, I wanted to scream, and I couldn't. Even if I tried, I don't know if I could have. And I just kind of like stood there. And Jillian was like, "What? Who is it? What is happening?" And I was like, "I don't." Mouthing, I don't know. And then I heard yelling from from the hallway. And and then I got more scared. And then when I looked out, I just kind of kept an eye. And then I saw the guy back away, and. I saw him looking up the stairs in the hallway, and I realized the yelling was coming from our upstairs neighbor who was telling his drunk friend, I'm on the third floor, <laughs> asshole. Oh man. And that, I was like, that oh, is that close relationship
2: between humor and horror right there. Thank God. Oh man. Uh Jeffrey, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me.
1: Oh, uh, thank you, Nick. This was great.
2: After the break, we asked some podcast creators to talk about how they make their shows sound extra spooky.
3: Subscribe to How to L.A. from L.A. Studios, wherever you listen to podcasts.
4: Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round.
3: This is clearly an NPR
5: audience. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I think they're so smart. Just, what the
4: hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events.
2: I gotta say, the universe has already given us enough tricks this year. So this week, how about some podcast treats? Hey, how's that for some Halloween theme narration? We reached out to a couple of podcast makers and asked them to talk us through some of the process involved in giving the show that spooky flavor. We'll start off with Jeffrey Nils Gartner and Eleanor Hyde, executive producers of
3: Unwell, a Midwestern Gothic mystery. So Unwell, a Midwestern Gothic mystery, is the story of a young woman, Lily Harper, who moves to Mount Absalom, a small town in rural Ohio, to take care of her ailing mother, Dot. She moves into the town's boarding house, which is run by her mother, and there she finds ghosts, conspiracies, and a new family in the house and the town's strange assortment of residents.
0: How do you make a scary or eerie moment in a podcast? So... Much of telling any story is about telling the audience what to pay attention to and what not to pay attention to. And in a gothic story like ours, what is scary or eerie or weird is often a thing that is just at the edge of attention. So it's sort of like seeing something moving in the corner of your vision, and when you turn, there's nothing there. Or you hear a noise but you can't place what it is or what it's doing there, but it's clear that it's important.
3: In season one, episode six, our characters are exploring the basement of the boarding house during a really bad storm. We're able to use the impermanence of audio to create a really frightening space, letting the dimensions and distances in the room slowly change and letting those reverbs give your brain different information than the characters are delivering through their dialogue or through the information you took in um, earlier in the scene. So it's this like strange thing where you suddenly can't trust the responses that um, your your ears are giving you. Lily? Lily. Where'd she... Shh, listen. Over here.
6: We're getting further away.
0: That makes no sense. We've been heading towards her voice.
6: You know what else doesn't make sense? Is to keep doing the one thing that we've proven doesn't work. Science, right? You don't keep pushing the same defunct hypothesis.
0: All right, fine. We head in the opposite direction for 30 seconds. And if that doesn't work, we try something else.
6: Lily? 29, 28. Can you hear
5: me? Yeah.
6: Does she sound closer? We were facing her. I know we were facing her. Who cares? It's working.
3: Lily! This was inspired by a number of things. I mean, obviously, it owes a great deal of DNA to The House of Leaves, um, an incredible novel that does the same thing kind of with a written word. You know, there's also an interesting way in which it was in some ways inspired by some time I spent in an anechoic chamber Um, At uh, Northwestern University, an anechoic chamber is a room that is isolated and insulated, in this case, by roughly 10 feet of acoustic foam on every side in a, a floating room that had been decoupled to prevent external noise and reverberations from, you know, the elevators in the buildings and things like that. A really strange thing about being in a room like that with absolutely no echoes is that there is so much spatial awareness that is lost. I found myself unable to sometimes tell where someone was speaking from if I wasn't looking right at them because I wasn't able to get all of the extra information that our brains get from sound bouncing off the walls. And so we tried to play... With a, a kind of similar thing with that, by changing the aural dimensions of the room, we could really destabilize the listener and create a kind of cool effect.
0: I'm Becca De La Rosa. I am Mabel Martin. And together we run the horror, speculative, surreal podcast, Mabel. We describe our show as a podcast about ghosts, family secrets, strange houses, and misconnections. We also like to say that it's about the overthrowing of every oppressive hierarchy. Yeah,
4: Mabel is a women's horror story before anything else. And I think that's because women in particular have a very innate understanding of horror as beings whose bodies in some way are always being culturally and intellectually dissected and discussed and in some way made to be separate from ourselves. So I think for me, what I set out to do was try and create a context in which I could articulate that.
0: I think it's going pretty well so far. I think so too. (laughs) We both really like to use a lot of deconstructed sounds. So you'll notice a lot of glitching in the soundscape. There's a lot of things just made slightly wrong. There's a lot of sound effects that have been slightly had their pitch altered. Mm. And things that sound wrong in a way that you can't really define, I think, is is the epitome of like a sense of dread <laughs> that you can't really escape from. To
4: me, the idea of an inescapable house has always been very interesting, and probably in the mind of the cultural consciousness, I think one of the stickiest points of horror. The house would fold itself up and let me carry it in my pocket if I asked that of it. All I ever need do is call. it might not let me do the opposite it might not give me the chance to keep my word I I don't Anna Anna I I don't think I've left the house after all Anna I think I'm still inside it I think that bit works especially because we had established the house as its own being, its own entity, its own perspective. And so there again is an inexplicability of what does this fundamentally non-human but built by human hands thing want? What does it want of me? What does it think? Where does it eat? Where does it sleep? What makes something scary? I think for myself... What makes something scary is... How can I say this? Something fundamentally growing where it shouldn't. Or something fundamentally being where it shouldn't. Or something thinking where it shouldn't. Or something eating where it shouldn't. So a sense of out-of-placeness, I think, I would distill that as. That's what makes something scary. Which I guess you would also say then is back to the inexplicable and... I think ever since we crawled out of our caves, you know, as people, we've all been afraid of the dark.
5: I'm Jeff Atman. I am the host of an independent podcast called Here Be Monsters. It's kind of based on this theory that I've had and I continue to pursue. And the theory is that most things that we're afraid of come from things we don't understand. Most things that we're afraid of come from the unknown, right? And the metaphor that I use is it's kind of like you know how like on those old nautical maps, they would have these like monsters off in the ocean, you know what I mean? These sea monsters that would, you know, devour your ship and they'd be they'd be drawn in there around the areas that we didn't fully understand of, of how the ocean worked. And, you know, it probably comes from this like <laughs> place of like, oh, it's like, where'd Tim go? It's like, oh, Tim went out on a ship like a couple months ago and never came back. And it's like, oh, I wonder what happened. And it's like, oh, I don't know, maybe a squid got him or maybe a sea monster or the kraken, you know, got Tim. And it's like, well, I mean, you know, in reality, probably probably shouldn't have built his boat out of toothpicks or bread or whatever he did. But instead, sometimes it's easier to imagine that there was like evil out there lurking that like devoured your friend. Because I think that like my eeriness sensor is a little bit miscalibrated. I actually don't find that many sounds eerie. I just find them interesting more often than not. In Here Be Monsters, one sound that I often like to mix in whenever whenever I get the opportunity to is the sound of bird calls, right? And so it's like, yeah, that might be like songbirds at times, but a lot of my identity as a young adult was formed around being in spaces where there were seabirds present. A couple of times when I've put sounds like that, uh, into episodes, I've gotten feedback from listeners that this is like a weird sound to be into because some people, it turns out, find those sounds to be really creepy. And I was like, wondering, I like, there must've been some thing that I missed, some memo that I missed of why this sound that I love is is hated by, by some people. Right. And I remember I was like, Oh, there's that, that movie, uh, Hitchcock's the birds. You know what I mean? Which is all about being terrorized by birds. And I know that that like movie is, is, is affects some people. I think, I think my mom saw it and you know, she's kind of afraid of crows, you know? And it's like, it made me wonder, it's like, which came first? Did the fear come first or did the, birds come first and then stoke the fear which then got people to watch the movie which then got people afraid of birds which got people to say it's like which is first the fear of the birds or the crow or the egg you know the chicken or the the chicken or the egg or the crow or the egg right um in conclusion um i'm going to propose something uh let's call it an eeriness compromise if you hear something and you you think something's creepy, I I want you to not discount it, right? Like horror and fear and disgust are, are not emotions that are necessarily like the opposite of beauty, right? These are all parts of like a human condition, which is like a much more complicated and strange melange than like these false dichotomies that we often set up. Because not everything that is scary is bad and evil, I think, is likely an illusion. Monsters only really exist in the eye of the beholder. And if you listen to something eerie, just... For me, just leave open the possibility that that eeriness can also make you feel warm and loved.
6: Hi there. Uh, my name is Mark Sollinger. I'm a radio producer. I'm a writer and a director.
7: Hi, my name's Dan Powell. I'm an audio engineer, sound designer, and
6: composer. Together we run Dead Signals, which is...
7: An audio drama production company dedicated to telling sound-rich and, at times, spooky fiction stories.
6: The show that we're best known for producing is called Archive 81. It's a weird fiction, cosmic horror podcast with found footage elements. One question we get asked a lot is, what makes something feel scary or
7: terrifying in the context of a podcast?
6: From the writing side, you don't want to over-describe something. Uh, Podcasting is a medium where it pays to give the audience enough space to imagine what the monster, what the terrifying situation is. Their imagination is always going to be more horrifying than what you've put down on the piece of paper or the Google Doc or whatever.
7: That's pretty much what I'd say for my end as well. Yeah, less is more. Letting the sound be more impressionistic and suggestive rather than totally on the nose is a better way to evoke a sense of dread. So how do you do that on a technical level?
6: Well, podcast horror needs to be audio specific. There's a reason that a lot of good audio drama is found footage or a fake podcast. And it's not just because, you know, we're aping serial. It's because it plays well in the audio medium. You want the like creepy object to be, you know, a tape rather than a painting, because like, okay, you can describe a painting, but you can like play a tape.
7: Right. So like, for example, if you were to have a strained conversation between two characters,
6: it might make more sense for the interaction to be a phone call,
7: maybe an anxious phone call where the battery's too low and everything's breaking up, because that's a familiar situation we all know, and it's one that only exists within the domain of audio. Yeah. I,
6: I, Dan, you, you're, you're breaking up. I, I can't hear you. God, somebody
7: help me! Probably one of my favorite examples of this that we've done is a guided museum tour from season one of Archive 81.
6: So essentially it's just, you know, a British man reading off a bunch of creepy museum exhibits, which sounds like it would work better in, in text. It sounds like, what, hey, wait, why is this creepy? But it, it's creepy because the audience gets to do most of the work. They get to fill in the stories behind these little descriptions. Object 411-K. Walrus Tusk carving of an unknown deity. Sound-wise,
7: this was a situation where the subtlety really paid off. I tried to focus on using subtle distortion and modulation to draw attention to particularly ominous moments in the script. And rhythmically, the way the tape edits jump in and
6: out also set the mood. Object unknown. We have been unable to catalogue this particular piece. Gazing upon it directly is difficult. It might be advisable not to linger in this particular corner of the exhibit.
7: I actually used the sound library sourced from old, decaying newsreels, so what you're hearing is the literal sound of analog data loss and degradation. Anyway, we hope you've enjoyed hearing about some of the ways we make our podcasts
2: creepy. Thanks to Mark Sollinger and Dan Powell of Archive 81, Jeffrey Nils Gardner and Eleanor Hyde of Unwell, Becca De La Rosa and Mabel Martin of Mabel, and Jeff Edmund of Here Be Monsters. Be sure to subscribe to shows. Servant of Pod is written and hosted by me, Nick Khoa. You can check out more episodes at alias.com slash of Pod. The show is produced by Andrea Zwahe, Jessica Alpert, and John Perotti, of Rococo Punch. Web design by Andy Cheatwood, and the digital and marketing teams at Southern California Public Radio. Logo and branding by Leo G. Thanks to the team at Alias Studios, including Christian Hayford, Taylor Kaufman, Kristen Muller, and Leo G. Servant of Pod is a production of Alias Studios.